brothers and sisters in Christ, a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 26, and then continuing 51 through 57. Let us attend to God's wisdom in this lesson. Friends, let me go over this message with you one final time. This message that I proclaimed and that you made your own. The message upon which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was a real thing and not a passing fancy that you're in this for good and holding fast. The first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me, that the Messiah died for our sins exactly as Scripture tells it, that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, again, exactly as Scripture says, that he presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers all at the same time, most of them still around, although a few have since died. That he then spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him, and that he finally represented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle, as you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp out God's church right out of existence. But because God is so gracious, so very gracious. Here I am. And I am not about to let his grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others? Even then, my work didn't amount to all that much. It was God giving me the work to do God giving me the energy to do it, so whether you heard it from me or from the others, it's all the same. We spoke God's truth, and you entrusted your lives. Now, let me ask you something profound and yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Jesus Christ is alive and raised from the dead, how can you let people say there is no such thing as resurrection? If there is no resurrection, there is no living Christ. And face it, if there is no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. Everything you've stake your life on is smoke and mirrors. 
not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we have passed on to you, verifying that God raised up Christ, sheer fabrications, if there is no resurrection. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark, as lost as ever. And it's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and the resurrection, because they're already in their graves. And if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. There is a nice symmetry to this. Death initially came by a man, and resurrection from death came by a man. Everyone dies in Adam. Everyone comes alive in Christ. But we have to wait our turn. Christ is first, then those with him at his coming. The grand consummation when, after crushing the opposition, he hands over the, his kingdom to God the Father. We won't let up until the last enemy is down, and the very last enemy is death. But let me tell you something wonderful, a mystery. I'll probably never fully understand. We're not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. You, you hear a blast to the end of all blasts from a trumpet, and in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On a single from that trumpet, from heaven, the dead will be up, and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment, and in the same way, we all will be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable, this mortal replaced by the immortal. In then the saying will come true, death swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O oh death? O oh death? 
Who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening, and the law co-guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our Master, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. This ends this words from God. May this be good news. Now, maybe you have seen this figure showing up in various places recently. I will try to describe it the best way possible. It is the drawing of a person. It is probably a man. This man is dressed in a black robe and has a top hat on. All of that is quite normal. What makes the picture so unique is what he wears on his face. They wear what appears to be a bird beak. So it makes the person kind of look like a demented version of Toucan Sam. The image of what we're seeing, what we are seeing is what is the garb of someone that is called a plague doctor. These doctors were medical professionals who are quite co common during the medieval ages, especially in the rise of the bubonic plague or the black plague that swept through Europe. They wore what was in some ways the, their version maybe the 14th century version of PPE, of personal protective equipment. The robe was covered in wax so that it was, was non-porous and it would protect them. And of course, the beak. Why in the world did they wear the beak? Well, they believed that certain smells were how you got the virus. So the beak actually contained um, some incense or something that would mask whatever smell was out there. And that's what it contained so that the person could breathe it in. So that's what they had. And this person, they'll also walk around with a cane. They would usually try to keep a distance. They, this was their, again, 14th century version of social distancing about the length of the cane so that they could yet um, work with their patient but not be too close to get the illness. Now, you have to, when you look at this getup, I'm sorry, it just looks scary. It almost looks like something out of a horrible nightmarish dream. And you have to wonder how someone who was ill or the family, when this person comes in, what do they think? They have to be probably at first scared witless that maybe this is the Grim, Grim Reaper. It's the time for death to show up. It, this thing looks 
like someone that's actually trying to hasten death instead of trying to prevent it. Death is something that seems to be these days all around. Paul is writing here and he continues, we continue in our journey with Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he is tackling what is probably the most important event in the life of the church and of our faith. Paul is going to tackle the resurrection. And that is something that runs against the common belief in Greco-Roman culture. Now, among the more well-to-do, there was this belief that when you die, your soul would separate and you would go to this higher plane of existence. Things were much better there. And so they were looking forward to that time. However, if you were poor, things were much bleaker. They tended to believe that when you died, you died. Death was a void. There was nothing beyond this life. In either case, death was the way of the world. It was common. Maybe it meant to lead to a better life. Maybe it meant nothing. But either way, death was just a part of life. This is what happens. In our modern age, death is something that happens. We see people grow old and die. We see people who are get into accidents or plane crashes or car crashes and they die. And of course, right now, when we see and we're getting close to 100,000 Americans that have died and that is just within the last two months. Death seems to be everywhere and it seems to be the way of the world. Now in our modern age, we find it hard to understand the resurrection and the Corinthians also had a hard time understanding it. There are many people both within and without the church that don't believe that there is in a literal resurrection. They believe that Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. Some would believe that resurrection is just another way of saying that the disciples and the other followers of Jesus were experiencing kind of a form of enlightenment, that they finally understood what Jesus was getting at in their, their time together. But Paul isn't saying that. Paul is actually saying that the resurrection happened and he preaches it before he tries to make people understand. He tries to say forcefully that death is not the way of the world. Paul believes and sees the resurrection as a pivotal event. It is real. It happens in history. He didn't need to spend time proving it. He just believed that it would happen 
because, and he shares how so many people were able to see the risen Christ. Paul understood that the event of Jesus living again was central to our Christian faith. Because if it didn't happen, if Jesus did not really raise from the dead, resurrected, then everything else is invalidated. Christ's resurrection was a defeat of death. And in Paul's view, death was an enemy. It wasn't what God intended for all of creation. And Paul wants to go as far as saying that death will be defeated because Jesus is being raised from the dead. Now, Paul, of course, earlier on had talked about the foolishness of the cross, and the cross factors into his theology. It is incredibly important. But the resurrection is even more so. Because if Christ simply had died in the hands of the Romans, then he would be just one more troublemaker, just one more person that was taken down by powerful forces. For Paul, the resurrection was pivotal. Because if you don't have this, you don't have anything else. As he says in verse, beginning in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. So Christ's death and Christ's resurrection is what frees us from the grip of sin. The resurrection gives us hope, especially on this type side of heaven. It tells us in this time and in our, our day, in, in the day of the people in Corinth and in today, when we are seeing again nearly 100,000 Americans dead of COVID-19, that death doesn't reign. Death has already been defeated. I've been thinking a lot about maybe death in different, diff different ways. You think about the loss and you think about our, our, this congregation, which is a smaller congregation, and how will we see ourselves through this pandemic? And I think about all the things that we are all grieving, the loss of all of the activities and all the plans that we had for this year. There is this sense of grief, and it's a grief of things that aren't happening, but it's also a grief of what is happening, of the loss, not just of events, but of people, and the fear, are we next? Is our loved one next? The resurrection of Jesus reminds us that there is hope, that evil does not last forever. Christ defeated death, and that means that there is hope for us as well. Because even when we die, that won't be the end. 
We who are in Christ will be raised again someday. Death right now might seem to be winning and it still scares us, but we have hope in Christ because Jesus was the one who rose from the dead and will one day vanquish death forever. I want to close with something that I um, found in, do, in getting this sermon ready. And it was something I read of all, in of all places, the New England Journal of Medicine. And it was about plague doctors. And it was written by a current doctor who is treating patients with the coronavirus. Dr. Mark Ernest was not immediately crazy about the image because he thought it didn't do justice to all of the good work that he and so many other medical professional, professionals have been doing. But then he started to think, as he goes in and was going to visit a woman who was ill, they thought that she very well might have um, the coronavirus and all of the protective gear he had to put on. He had to put on his gown. He has to put on a, the mat, his N95 mask. He actually even, I'm assuming, had to put on a face shield. All of that could look rather frightening to people. And then he talks about the, the conversation that he has with this woman who is ill and in the bed, but they are thinking she's going to get a little bit better and they want to watch her and, and, and her husband because he may also have gotten COVID-19. And as he is leaving, she stops him and pulls down her mask and says to him, looking straight in his eyes, thank you. Thank you for being here. I can't imagine this is easy for you. And I want you to know how grateful I am. The patients were being treated by someone that cared for them. And yes, the plague doctor, just like he did, the plague doctor was fearful, could look very fearful. But to people who were dealing with a plague that they didn't understand, this person brought a sense of peace, just like Dr. Ernest. Like the plague doctor costume, the resurrection might be hard to understand, and it even might be considered a little bit scary. But like the woman who thanked Dr. Ernest, to those who are fighting for their lives, which means all of us, it means that Jesus, the risen Christ, is our savior, is our healer, is our liberator. We face death now, but it is not the end because of Jesus Christ's resurrection. Thanks be to God.